From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. Treasurer Jim Chalmers' second budget, which provides for a small surplus in the current financial year, has sought to balance containing inflation with help to the most needy in the community. The reaction has been predictably mixed. The modest relief for those on welfare payments has been welcomed, but critics say the help isn't enough. Some economists insist the budget will be inflationary, which is a claim strongly disputed by the government. In this podcast, we speak with Jim Chalmers, his opposite number, Angus Taylor, and finally, the Conversations Politics Editor, Amanda Dunn, and I discuss some of this budget's aspects. Jim Chalmers, the economic argument about this budget has come down to whether it will or will not add to inflation. A number of economists say it will, but you strongly reject that. Can you just take us through briefly your argument about why those economists are wrong? Well, first of all, there's a lot of economists who have my view, including the considered advice of the Treasury. And the reason for that is because what we've done is we've designed the cost of living package in particular to be particularly cognizant of the inflationary pressures in the economy. It's spread out over four years. Not all of the money hits the economy at once. Uh, And if you think about the next year, which is the year that the opposition is focused on, you know, a big chunk of the money we're spending next year is the funding for the programs which are obviously ongoing but weren't funded in an ongoing way. There's also the impact of the small business tax breaks and some other reasons. So uh, overall, uh, our budget is designed to take some of the edge off these cost of living pressures, not add to the inflationary pressures in the economy. And you can see that in the Treasury's forecasts. So you're confident that the Reserve Bank will think that you've helped it, not hindered it, in its push to contain inflation? Well, I'm always careful, as you know, Michelle. Uh, I don't want to put words in the Reserve Bank Governor's mouth in particular. They take their decisions independently. But obviously, uh, I wouldn't be handing down a budget that made their job more difficult. Uh, And in the context of the energy plan, the energy relief payments, uh, and some of the other measures in the budget, we're going out of our way to make their job easier. Now, in the budget, you've increased job seeker and related payments by a small amount. Do you see this as a first step only in raising these payments? You know you'll have more advocacy from your inclusion advisory group next year because that's an ongoing exercise. Yeah, two two quick things about that. I mean, first of all, having just handed down a budget with an increase to the base rate of job seeker and the associated payments... Uh, you know, and I'm not I'm not flagging what we might do in you know 364 days time in the next budget or whatever it is. Uh, but the second point I'd make is, as a Labor government, and the Prime Minister makes this point repeatedly, we're always looking to do what we can to help people, but we do that within the constraints of a really responsible government and a really responsible budget. And I think the overwhelming story out of this budget is the fact that we've been able to be responsible and compassionate at the same time. Now, of course, we always seem to return to the stage three tax cuts. We've had two budgets now where there's been pressure to which the government hasn't responded to refashion those tax cuts. I know you say you've got no plans to do this, but can we take this as a never ever pledge that they're definitely here to stay? Well, the point that I would make about that, Michelle, is is similar to the point I've made all the other times I've been asked, including at the National Press Club after the budget. 
uh, and that is, you know, changing these tax cuts wasn't even part of our deliberations in this budget. Uh, and our position hasn't changed. That's why the budget doesn't reflect any change. Uh, and, you know, they come in in more than a year's time, uh, but it hasn't been something that we've been contemplating. Uh, and, you know, I get asked from time to time from both directions. People want me to either guarantee it or they want me to say that we will abolish them. Uh, we haven't changed our position despite all the pressure coming at us from both directions. Uh, we think it's important that you return bracket creep, uh, particularly for people on low and middle incomes. I said that at the press club as well. Uh, and we need to remember that these tax cuts kick in at 45 grand. Uh, and we've always supported tax relief for people on modest incomes. You'd always had the option of going to an election to promise to do something later, of course. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not speculating about that. You know, we haven't changed our position. We've got a budget which has uh, done as much as we can, frankly, for the most vulnerable people, the people uh, on the lowest incomes, and I'm proud of that. You've been a bit sensitive today when people have pointed out that the budget doesn't have anything particularly special for middle-income, mortgage-stressed people. Why, why do you refute the, that proposition? <laughs> I don't feel like I'm especially sensitive about it, I, but I, I do think it's complete and utter rubbish. <laughs> and the reason I think that is because we've been really careful in prioritising the most vulnerable. Uh, we haven't neglected Middle Australia, for example. Uh, big changes to bulk billing, centrepiece of the budget. Uh, a lot of people with kids under 16 will benefit from that right up and down the income scale. Cheaper early childhood education. We've actually copped a lot of flack for being too kind to Middle Australia in our early childhood policies. They kick in on the 1st of July. Uh, energy efficiency measures, uh, the training package, the uh, home guarantee. There's a whole bunch of there are a whole bunch of policies in the budget for Middle Australia. It's just that the focus of a lot of the commentary has been what we're doing for the most vulnerable people. That's a good thing from my point of view. We are doing what we can there, but that doesn't mean we're neglecting Middle Australia. The budget forecasts some $15 billion in savings from the National Disability Insurance Scheme. That's a big amount of money. What will be involved and do you think people on the scheme will be alarmed because this is a, a particularly delicate area for obvious reasons? Oh, look, it is. You know, I acknowledge that. Uh, and that's why both in the budget speech and in the speech the following day, I've gone out of my way to say that our objective here, our number one objective, is to make sure that people are getting the care that they need and deserve and that was intended when we designed the scheme in the first place. Uh, but we need to get a handle on some of these increasing costs in the system. And Bill Shorten's been doing a terrific job working with the NDIA and the sector and others and Anthony Albanese with the state and territory leaders uh, to try and moderate the growth in the program, not because we want to cut it for its own sake, but because we want to make sure we're getting value for money for people who need it and rely on it. But you're pointing to these savings and that uh, inquiry into the scheme hasn't even reported, won't report for a few months yet. Oh, but it's, I mean, as you would appreciate from, you know, you would have seen uh, some of these processes before, there's often kind of iterations, there's often engagement with the review panel uh, as it uh, continues its work uh, and what we saw what we would have seen in the budget is about a 17 billion dollar increase in the cost of the NDIS uh, there's about 15 billion dollars of savings that were able to be found to moderate that growth that's pretty huge well I think it shows 15 out of 17 well I think it shows that uh, if you put the effort into it making sure that every dollar goes to the people who need it in the scheme 
you can make the scheme more sustainable. You can put it on a more sustainable footing. That's what I want to see because I believe in the NDIS. I want it to be here to stay. And in order for it to be here to stay, it's got to be, uh, we've got to moderate some of these costs. As treasurer, you give the impression that you've been much influenced by working for a treasurer. And as a staffer, of course, you went through the Labor government's trauma with its resources tax. In undertaking changes uh, announced in this budget to the petroleum resource rent tax, you've treated the sector really very much with kid gloves. You've uh, engaged with that industry. How much were you influenced by your own experience before? I think everybody is in one way or another. Uh, I like to think that I've got my eyes forward uh, in the job that I want to do and not trying to... But you've got a few scars from the past. Uh, I think everyone does, you know, from, from their own experiences. I don't want to pretend that I haven't learned a lot in that pretty remarkable apprenticeship that I was fortunate to have. I mean, nobody's come to this job with... Don't mention tax and inquiry. <laughs> well, nobody's come to this job with the kind of apprenticeship that I had for it, and I'm grateful for that. And, you know, most days I reflect on something I've learned, as, as, as people would in all walks of life in their work, um, but I try and look forward. I want to make my time in this job really count, and one of the things that I'm pleased about in extracting $2.4 billion of extra tax sooner... Uh, out of offshore LNG projects. Yes, I went about it in a consultative way. That's the tone that Anthony Albanese sets for his government. That's his expectations of us. If you can get a good outcome from working with people rather than against them, then I would have thought the onus is on all of us in all of our portfolios to try. Now, you're celebrating a surplus for this financial year, although uh, there are a couple of months to go. <laughs> you won't be seeing any black, back in black mugs or anything from me, Michelle, or any self-congratulation. <laughs> I, there's good reasons to be cautious. Just fingers crossed. <laughs> but the budget then projects deficits in the later years. But I'm, I'm just wondering whether there might be, not a trick here, but... Uh, some optimism that's not reflected in those figures. In other words, is it not possible, certainly next financial year, that with the savings, with the stream of revenue that's still to come, you could in fact get a surplus next financial year? Well, I, I'm not prepared to preempt that and I'm, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. And uh, I think there are genuinely good reasons to be cautious and careful and conservative, including, you know, the history of my immediate predecessor that w that I just joked about. I mean, there is no point over-promising and under-delivering here. I'd rather avoid that. It's but a you might over-deliver after the under-promising. Well, it remains to be seen what happens with the labour market, uh, what happens with commodity prices and a range of other influences on the budget. But I think there's a good reason to be cautious and conservative, and that's what I'm being. Now, I just want to finish on the labour market and something that I asked you earlier at the press club, because I think it's important uh, and something our listeners would be interested in. The budget does not focus much attention, even with this tight labour market, on getting the long-term unemployed into jobs. What priority are you giving this? What more can you do about it? And what you're thinking ahead? Yeah, very important priority, very, very high on our list. And one of the reasons I'm so proud of the place-based initiatives for communities where we've had entrenched disadvantage and intergenerational long-term unemployment 
is we need to think differently about the communities, frankly, like the one I grew up in and the one that I represent now. Just explain that place-based community program. So there are programs around Australia which uh, find the communities with a lot of uh, disadvantage and they try and apply a hyper-local approach with great local leaders backed by the Commonwealth Government to try and uh, break the cycle of intergenerational disadvantage. And it involves the philanthropic sector, it involves all of the community organisations, support from all three levels of government. And what I've seen in my own community, a program called Logan Together, and a guy called Matthew Cox, who's been central to my thinking on all of this, is if we get a good model and we can apply it to other communities like Logan around Australia, we give ourselves a chance of uh, breaking this cycle so that we have fewer long-term unemployed people. And, And so we intervene early in people's lives and all of these sorts of things that are really important. So that's part of the thinking. Uh, you've asked me before about employment services. That's important too. Surely we can do better there. I mean, surely. And so we've got an employment white paper. My colleague Julian Hill and others are doing a heap of work at the committee level to see if we can do that better. Tony Burke is in charge of that as the employment minister. And so I'd happily work very closely with him to see if we can make improvements there. But I think the overall objective is really important. When we've got unemployment 3.5%, even if it gets to 4.5% on the budget forecasts, We need to do a much better job of actually hooking people up with the opportunities of a growing job-creating economy. Employment services, the employment white paper, the place-based programs, the participation agenda we have around early childhood, education, uh, all of these things are important. We've done a heap of work, but there will be more to do. Jim Chalmers, thanks very much for talking with us today. Thanks for the opportunity, Michelle. Angus Taylor, you've condemned this as a high-taxing, high-spending Labor budget. To what degree and where should the taxing and spending been lower? Well, can we start with the facts? Because it's very important to understand the baseline here. Um, Labor's added $185 billion of spending since they got into government. And and crucially, the new initiatives they're pursuing, uh, there's $2 of spending for every dollar of revenue. And so at a time when we need a budget that's responsible, that take pressure off inflation, that's not what's needed. Now, there's many areas where we've already outlined our view uh, that spending is not appropriate at the moment. $45 billion of spending we've opposed in the parliament in recent months. There's about $18 billion of interest cost attached to that. Uh, we do think Uh, that adding over 10,000 new public servants at the moment is not the right answer, uh, particularly at a time when uh, we do need to put this downward pressure on inflation. Outside of national security and frontline services, there's real questions about whether that that is needed. Well, what Uh, about the welfare spending, though? Are you saying there should be less of that, those initiatives? We'll work through all of these. I mean, we have our own processes, as you know. Sure, but they're pretty obvious. Well, well, no, because you've got to go through your processes and make decisions as a shadow cabinet, and we respect, I always respect that process, and and we should, and you know that's how these things work. What I would say in general, as a matter of principle right now, is what really is needed is dealing with inflation at the source not dealing with it through the symptoms. There's no point putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. You've got to go to the source. And a budget that puts downward pressure on inflation is good for all Australians. Everybody is better off, including the most vulnerable. You don't have to pick and choose. We all benefit from the prices of the goods and services we buy being lower 
than they otherwise would but be. But even, even taking that point, nevertheless, we're in a situation where the very vulnerable people on JobSeeker and so on are needing more money, needing more assistance. Are you saying that was inappropriate? I'm, I'm saying that the risk with this strategy is that you give with one hand and take away more with the other. And we are seeing we've got stagnant real wages in this election cycle over three years. They're not growing. And, and that's in the budget papers. It's very clear. Stagnant well, they risk. are sp- starting to grow well, next year. O- over this they? election cycle, under Labor's, under Labor's government, uh, real wages are flat right? and, and over the three years. And you know, this is real pain that's being felt. And there'll be people listening to this out there now who feel substantially worse off than they were a year ago. And the truth is, if, if you're a family uh, with a mortgage right now, uh, a typical family will be $25,000 a year worse off than they were a year ago. Uh, that, that, is, that is what inflationary pressures and interest rate pressures do to people's standard of living. And, and the key here is to, to go to the source with a budget that is good for all Australians. Doesn't, you don't need to discriminate then. Everyone is better off if you can take pressure off inflation. Uh, that should have been the focus of this budget, and it wasn't. Now, now let's go to this question of inflation and, and dig down. Jim Chalmers claims that the budget won't put pressure on inflation. The opposition says it will. What is your evidence, what is your argument that it will be inflationary? Well, a couple of things I'd say. First is you've got independent economists saying it, it, it will be inflationary. People like Chris Richardson and Richard Holden, Stephen Hamilton have all made this point. Chris Richardson was very strong last night, straight out of the blocks, uh, saying that, that this will He's be inflationary. He's had a bit of a clip round the ear from the Prime Minister well, this morning. Well, I mean, you know, that, that's how Labor works. If, if someone says that something that Labor doesn't like, they clip people around the ear. That's unfortunate. But the truth is, he, he is speaking out because if, if you have $185 billion of, of new spending since they got into government, $2 of spending initiatives versus every dollar of revenue initiative, uh, that is expansionary. Now, right now, we don't need that. I mean, we know historically, if you want to deal with inflation, You've, you've got to see fiscal consolidation. We also know the best kind of fiscal consolidation is to make sure your economy grows faster than your spending. Um, and we, we, we confronted this in the past. If you don't have that, you end up where we ended up in the 80s, the 70s and 80s, where uh, central banks have to do all the work. Uh, and the pain is enormous, Michelle. Uh, we, 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 many of us, certainly my age and older, remember that only too well. Uh, and that's not where we want to be uh, in the coming months. And years. So do you think that this budget will push up interest rates? Oh, I'm not going to make a forecast on interest rates. I mean, the, the, the Treasurer loves to make forecasts. Um, lots of people have been trying to forecast inflation and interest rates. And frankly, they've largely been wrong. We saw a uh, even last week, uh, the Reserve Bank raised interest rates. The pundits, the capital markets, they all had it wrong. Uh, economists, they had it wrong. Uh, so uh, the truth of the matter is the inflationary pressures have been stronger than has been predicted, substantially stronger than has been predicted. And that's why now it's incumbent on the government to take that risk away, uh, to take those pressures off Every Australian. You know, there was an opportunity here to unite Australians be behind the one thing that is hurting all of us. There was an opportunity to do that. They've missed that opportunity. And I think uh, both 
in terms of what's right for Australia and politically, frankly, uh, there's been a real opportunity missed uh, and it's incredibly disappointing. But when you say there was an opportunity, what positively should have been done? Well, I've already said a number of things, but I'll add to that. Um, the first and most striking thing of all when you read the budget papers is one of the first things I looked look to. So when you look at the fiscal strategy, there is no commitment to budget balance in this fiscal strategy. Now, since the Charter of Budget Honesty was put in place in the 1990s under Peter Costello, there has always been a commitment to budget balance. It's gone. And the reason is... Well, we've got it now, Well, well, well hang on. Uh, for a year after an $80 billion windfall, when, as I think I've said to you before, uh, we had a, a budget coming out of the pandemic through to the May election that was in already in balance. Uh, but from here on in, uh, the Treasurer is taking it over a cliff, uh, going out to a 30, uh, over $36 billion deficit. Um, that's, not, that's, that's expansionary. Uh, that's inflationary. If you take a budget that's in balance and then you turn it into a big deficit... Uh, it's pretty. It's pretty straightforward. I don't know how you can argue that that's not expansionary. Isn't it possible, though? And we've we've seen uh, changes over forward estimates, incredibly over recent years. Isn't it possible that that deficit that's forecast could be reined in a lot with? Spending cuts, for example, to the NDIS well, and other I, I, programs. I don't know. I, look, I, I read the budget and I assume that's the government's plan. I don't, I don't have any other plan to work on, Michelle. So um, I, I, that is their plan. That's what they've put out. They just put out all the details. And I think that's what we've got to assume their, their plan is right now. Now, if they plan more spending and more taxes, um, they should tell us. Now, I heard you say last night that the opposition supported the energy uh, price help and had done so all along. But in fact, you opposed the legislation that was part of that. Oh, well, you, you know, Labor plays tricky games with these things. They put, and they're doing this time and time again, they put two pieces of legislation together. One they know we can't support and the one they know we do support. Um, and they put us in those positions. We support uh, that energy price relief. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Uh, Labor promised a $275 reduction in electricity bills. Uh, we now know from these budget papers that for a typical Australian family, uh, there's going to be a $500 energy price increase even after that relief. So they've completely failed in their promise. Australians worked on the assumption the promise was going to be kept. It hasn't been kept. They deserve better than that. And that's why, unfortunately, and we do it with regret because it's not this is not where we wanted to be, but the truth of the matter is Australians deserved better than that uh, and Labor's had to deal with it. Now you've seen the details of the changes to the petroleum resource rent tax. Are you going to support well, that? We, we haven't seen the details. That's not right. We've seen a top-line number. And The thing about resource rent taxes, and we learnt this with the mining tax, is they are incredibly complex. Well, the industry and, and, supports Well, it. Well, hang on. Uh, we are interested in what's right for Australia and Australians. Um, I, I hear a lot of commentators who wouldn't normally say that uh, the mining industry should be supported in whatever they say or the resources industry. Um, we, we will make a judgment on this, as we always do, on what's right for Australia. Again, I have to say, if you want the price of something to go down, you don't normally hit it with a tax. That being said, we will work through this one uh, uh, carefully. Uh, I saw the mining uh, resource rent tax way back 
uh, in the uh, in the last Labor government completely fail. Jim Chalmers was in Wayne Swan's office at the time. It was a dog's breakfast, a complete disaster. They are very complex taxes. Is this going to be a bad tax? I don't know. You've got to get into the detail. We'll, we'll no doubt, we'll get briefings on this over the coming weeks and we'll work our like way through Like you, it. I remember that tax and the big difference is that uh, the mining industry opposed it. Well, the final version of it... Very, though, very strongly this time, the industry is going along with well, it. Well, a couple of things. I, I don't... Uh, just because the mining industry supports something <laughs> doesn't mean it's right. And I think you of all people should understand that. We're interested in what's right for Australia and Australians uh, and for energy prices for Australians in particular. Um, so that, that's got to be the test. Um, as you know from that last mining tax, actually the final version of it, the mining industry did support, but it was a complete dog's breakfast um, and uh, we got rid of it because of that. Uh, it wasn't helping, it was deterring investment uh, because it was sending a, the wrong signal to investors, so it was a bad tax um, and it was abolished as a result. But we'll look at this one. Uh, with all its complexity, and we'll make a judgment about whether it's good for Australia and Australians. Just finally, and I know you say you'll work through the whole budget, but is there anything now that the opposition will fight, will resist in, in Parliament well, can I, can if I, there's legislation? Can, can I start by saying uh, the things we, we're going to support? There are some things in this budget we are going to support. So we do support the instant asset write-off. It's only to $20,000, but that's important for small businesses. We do support the initiative on women's safety. We think that's that's a real positive. The veterans' payments and the extension of the work bonus uh, for pensioners. I think these are important initiatives. We, we proposed that some time back. It's it's not the full version of it. We'd prefer more, uh, but it's, it's something uh, for an extra six months, and, and that will encourage pensioners into the workforce, and, and, and we like that. Uh, we'll work our way through all the other in initiatives. We have to say making government bigger in Canberra is not necessarily the answer right now, particularly with these inflationary pressures at work. Whether there's any legislation on that, probably not, but but there's some initiatives uh, around bigger government that we, 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 we're concerned about um, and uh, we'll work our way through that. Well, talking about bigger government, just to finish off, what about the extra staff for mm. politicians? Mm. Well, I, like I, that? I I Don't I like well, that? It's a, it's, a, it's a good question. So the, the first thing I say about it is we're pleased that there's no budget for extra politicians in the budget. Uh, and uh, whilst Albanese has been talking about more politicians, um, as you will remember a few weeks back, he was saying maybe we need more politicians. We don't agree with that. Um, and I was pleased that wasn't there. Uh, the staff issue, again, we'll work our way through that. It's it's far more modest, I have to say, than more politicians, but but that, that particular issue, I'd be again, very surprised if you end up saying no. Well, well Michelle, I mean, every penny has to be, has to be scrutinised right now because every penny risks raising inflation for Australians, and it's why, that's why we're taking a very principled approach to this. Angus Taylor, thank you very much for talking with us. Thanks, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Amanda. Michelle, much of the budget's biggest items were dropped to the media in the days leading up to budget night, which seems to be the way things are done these days. But nonetheless, there were actually a few surprises on the night. What were the big ticket items announced by Jim Chalmers that we didn't know about beforehand? 
The biggest one was the uh, incentives to doctors to bulk bill, and uh, this will triple the current incentive. Now, we know that, of course, Medicare is in a a very bad state on a number of levels, but uh, the failure to be able to find uh, a bulk billing doctor is a real problem for a lot of people, and this... uh, benefit will be for people with children, so uh, quite a a big cohort of uh, lower income but middle income people as well, and also those on welfare and those with uh, health cards. So I think that'll be a measure that's uh, widely welcomed. As you say, a lot came out in uh, so-called drops from the government before the budget, but we weren't sure about the size of the increase for people on uh, Job Seeker, and that, of course, is $40 a fortnight. Not huge by any means, welcome, but uh, criticised by some as uh, inadequate. So that was a, a detail. Early in the budget process, I must say, we thought there wouldn't be any across-the-board uh, increase in job seeker because of the tight general fiscal situation. But uh, with more revenue coming in late in the process, there was uh, pressure to do more. And uh, so that was a detail in terms of the amount that we learned about. The other thing, I guess, was the increase in rent assistance. Again, I think that that was something that the government felt able to do when it saw that uh, big river of revenue. Okay, and we're all acutely aware at the moment that inflation is a huge economic problem for Australia. And in putting this budget together, the government is trying to walk a fine line between supporting those who are most in need without spurring inflation any further. How successfully do you think it has done that? I don't think we can answer that question in prospect. I think that it's a question that will be answered in retrospect. Some economists are saying strongly that the government's measures, although fairly modest, will add to inflation, will make the Reserve Bank's job harder and and so could lead to Uh, yet higher interest rates, but the government strongly denies this and the Treasury assessment is that uh, this won't be inflationary. So we'll have to wait and see. All right. And finally, Michelle, how do you think the budget package fares as a political document? Is it true to the kind of government Anthony Albanese promised to run in the lead up to last year's federal election? Yes, I think it is because Anthony Albanese stressed that uh, a government he led would be uh, one that was conservative in terms of uh, economic management and uh, that uh, it, it would be restrained, but it would also be compassionate. It would deliver to those most in need. And of course, we had that slogan of uh, no one left behind. Well, of course, that's a very subjective concept. But broadly, I think this budget is in line with what was promised before the election. It will be interesting, however, to see what reaction there is in the opinion polls, because while it's in line with what we might have expected from an Albanese government, it doesn't deliver a lot to uh, 
the middle income earners who are struggling with those rapidly increasing mortgages. So people may say, well, it's fair, therefore it's good. But other people might say, well, there's not a lot in it for me. And so mark it down. So it'll take a few days to uh, get those polls and get that reaction. But basically, I would think that the government at this point is pretty happy with how the budget uh, has gone down, even though there are critics and uh, sceptics. And that's all for our Budget Politics podcast. Thank you to my producer, Mikey Burnett. We'll be back with another interview soon, but goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.